Hello, welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Ginny. And today we are eventually talking about <laughs> Buffy and Angel. So we've got uh, same time, same place on Buffy and um, the house always wins on Angel. And yes. this was the episode that this I was the had episode a really hard time <laughs> with. <laughs> Uh, yes, I was excited to watch it, though. And I, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I feel like there were some interesting ideas and tidbits. Yes, it's actually a very good episode. It's just yes. maybe the grossest episode so ever of Buffy. So gross, so gross. Very and creepy. And as we previously talked about, I have a really hard time with the clicking of the names. Yes. I will say, though, less clicking than I remembered. Yeah, I think because actually, we made it such a thing between the two of us that I was like, oh, he really hasn't clicked that much. He only did it, like, twice. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that maybe was a little disappointing. like, a good thing, because I was expecting it to, like, take over, like, half the episode, and I was like, oh, you really don't even see him that much. No, he's barely in it. Yeah. But, ew. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but before we start talking about that, how are you doing? Um, Good. Yeah, I had a rough week, and oh. I am feeling better today. Uh, in a sort of related <laughs> manner, I uh, we watched Cabin in the Woods last night. <laughs> I really, what I wanted to do, I'm sure you and many people can relate to this, at least I assume, is that what I wanted to do last night was watch something that would make me um, emote, which is to say cry. But you know when you like get into that, when you're like trying to find... It's like, it's just hard sometimes if you don't have something already in mind. And my friend was over and we were watching, we were, you know, to watch a movie and we hadn't picked anything out ahead of time. And I was like, I don't know, like we're going to spend an hour going through every movie and then like settle on something mediocre. So at some point she said Cabin in the Woods and I was like sold. And it was great. I hadn't seen it in a while. I mean, you did not. No, I didn't. (laughs) I mean, I got excited. So it didn't help me in that way, but it turns out also watching something that's like, it's not cheerful, but like something fun was like also helpful. So. Well, it takes a lot of effort, but I emoted pretty strongly at the end of Four, um, four Weddings and a Funeral, which is okay. 10 you episodes. You had given it a mediocre review. Yeah, I did. Last and I'm week. still kind of like, you know, I was going to talk about it. You know, we'll wait because I actually okay. was going to talk about it in my pop culture recommendations because I think okay. on balance I recommend it, but I do want to talk about the ways it disappointed me. Okay. <laughs> um, but I will say that I emoted pretty heavily in the final episode. So okay. if you want to put some effort into it, you could do that as well. So. I know it's hard though. Cause it's like, do I want instant gratification? Is there something short? But the things that are the most satisfying, you know, take some buildup. So I don't know. I've just really been struggling. And then my go-to, which I probably not said on this, but I've certainly said to you and everybody in my immediate circle many, many times is my all-time favorite cry is the finale of uh, Six Feet Under. Mm. And I have, but I've like leaned on it a little too heavily for a few years. And so I was for a while, I was like, okay, you're not doing that. And then yesterday I was like, maybe that's what you should do. And I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it and I still haven't decided, but I did sort of decide that I will just watch the whole show again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I haven't totally committed to that, but I'm just like playing with that idea. So, well, you could always watch the prom or the body. Yeah. Or no, I'm not doing that. It's okay, a different well. type of cry. <laughs> yeah, I mean or, you're right, but no, um, the, the season two finale. Yeah, see, but that's that one. I think is also better. In con, I mean, it yes. is good, but I'm like, would it be better if I just watched the whole season again? It's true. Which is where I got to with sixteen under. So it's like, what do you do? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so I still, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I still have a day left after we record, so who knows what I'll find. 
I think there are a lot of options out there. Yeah. You but can also just watch commercials. I emote pretty heavily. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I mean, I do cry at almost everything that I watch. But, like, if you want to lean into it, I feel like it's a little more, like, than, like, a commercial is not as satisfying. Yeah. Well, you, what's something you could watch, like, Beaches or... <laughs> I've never seen Beaches. <laughs> like, some, some, like, stereotypically, like, weepy movie What's that or one with Dolly Parton? Uh, and Julia Roberts? Oh, Steel Magnolias. Steel Magnolias. I've yeah. never seen that. <laughs> is Dolly Parton in that? Is she? I don't know. I don't know. I've seen it, but I always remember just Sally Field, but Dolly Parton might be in it. I don't know. I'm Googling it I'm now. also yes, just she's definitely in it. the armadillo cake, which dries my tear ducts up pretty well. Okay. <laughs> it's disgusting. You. <laughs> um, um, how are you doing <clears throat> today? I'm good. We have graciously recorded this an hour later, so hopefully mm-hmm. I sound alive, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, but no, I'm, I'm excited. I, I have like a, a chill weekend planned, mostly. I had a very busy week, but I like feel better now that I'm not in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as typically happens. But yeah, no, it's like... It's, it's good. I'm going to make a chocolate cake later, which is always fun. I, mm. But I feel like this instance is like, I'm just going to bake following a recipe, which like, I'm very excited to do. Oh, that's like do. easy. Yeah. Easy, but also like feels very therapeutic when you're in it. Yeah. And like, that's the kind of baking that like really I find is like a relief. Whereas like me trying to come up with my own thing is sometimes very stressful because yeah. I'm like, what if I have to do this again? And Maybe I should bake something today. It's like finally not so hot that it's murderous to turn on your oven. Maybe you should. I'll, I'll huh. send you the recipe of what I'm baking and we can okay. bake, do a bake along. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Well, send it to me and I'll, hmm, Yeah. Maybe. It's, yeah. It looks really easy. It's like literally called dump it cake. Okay. So sounds simple. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not like a huge chocolate cake person. I like it, but it's never like my go-to. Yeah, I but agree with that. I'm bringing it to like book club tomorrow and the book that we read had like a theme where like there was chocolate cakes. So okay. I was like, well, that seems appropriate. My friend is like eight months pregnant. So I sent her a text and I was like, uh, do you want any help? Like, <laughs> so her husband's like taking care of the food, but she's like, you can bring dessert. I was like, okay. Like, yeah. Like she's like hosting like 10 people. She's eight months pregnant. I'm like, yeah. Why? <laughs> anyway. So those are my plans today. I'm very excited. Okay. Just to have a chill baking sesh and it has also cooled down considerably here so it won't be like murderous yeah so although murderous for me is like 80 i, I mean i also consider 80 murderous though yeah. because i have a very low tolerance for heat it's not 80 <laughs> and it's not humid it, this week did a real annoying thing here where it was like it's gonna be in the 70s all week and i was like okay and it was really nice on monday and then on tuesday it was like 90% humidity. And I was like, it's not nice if it's this humid. It doesn't matter uh, what temperature it is. Agreed. I walked to work the other day and it was like 65 degrees and it was so muggy, which, yeah. you know, San Francisco is not a place no. you usually equate with humidity. And I was like, this is disgusting. I've yeah, never been so it. hot. And it was like 65 degrees outside. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I'm, I'm ruined. And then people like stroll into the office and they're like, it's so amazing outside. I'm like, I'm like, did you just walk in it for an hour? Because let me tell Ugh. you, if you do that, it's not amazing. Also, humidity is never amazing. Actually, no. humidity is only acceptable if you're on a beach. Yeah, when you can go That's in the, the water. That's the only time I consider it to be maybe enjoyable because you can mitigate it and it, and it makes the water easier, you know. But the, Also, the only time I find it accessible, acceptable is when the sun goes down and the air cools, but you have that humidity mm. kind of keeping a little bit of warmth. Maybe, yeah. but I could live without that. 
Well, and also I read an article that apparently that is a something that's going to be another casualty of global warming. Is oh, that the air fun. temperatures at night are staying hot. Oh. And so, like, you don't have that cool summer night, like, mm. which is one of the only great parts of, like, hot summer weather is, like, <sighs> a beautiful summer night. Yeah. Um, my my vow to not talk about the weather has gone way it's off It's gone the rails. badly. I mean, I uh, set you up this time, so sorry. <laughs> blame Jenny. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, let's let's segue out of that and let's okay. talk about into skin off of people into <laughs> click 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 click. I'm moving my fingers in that manner, but you uh, can and see you it. literally, uh, I, I can tell you, I like just did that like full body shiver. Yeah, <laughs> I um, hate this demon. <laughs> I hate him too. Oh, uh, but I love him. Um. Okay. So. Uh, we saw in the last episode that Willow, you know, Giles had convinced her that it's time for her to go home. Partially, I think, because she had this vision about, you know, what lies beneath or whatever, <laughs> whatever that phrase is. <laughs> what lies beneath is that old uh, Michelle Pfeiffer movie. From beneath you, but, it devours. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Not a Harrison Ford. What lies Ford. beneath is that, like, yeah. Yeah, but Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford Michelle Pfeiffer thriller yeah. or something. Um, okay. Anyway, so Willow is coming home a little bit before kind of her little rehab is totally complete and she as we saw is like extremely nervous about how her friends are going to react i mean with good reason so meanwhile her her friends are really nervous about seeing her also so uh you know giles sends them her flight information they go to the airport to pick her up xander's made this sign with a yellow crayon because he thinks it's really sweet it is and you know they wait and wait and wait (laughs) yeah nobody can read uh and she doesn't show up and so basically we start seeing um, the same scene, but we do see Willow there. And, you know, there's all these markers, like the same people deplaning de- right before her. So it's like pretty clear that she was there and it's very unclear what exactly is going on. So, you know, Willow goes home. Nobody's there. Meanwhile, Buffy, Dawn and Xander go home. Willow's not there. Everybody's trying to figure out what's gone wrong. Um, and nobody can see each other. At least the, that group of four um, can't see each other. So the next day, Xander goes to his construction job at the high school and finds a flayed body, <laughs> which, of course, we know is the last thing that Willow, one of the last things Willow did before she left was flay Warren alive. So it does look a little bit suspicious that the day Willow is supposed to or perhaps it looks suspicious that the day Willow is supposed to arrive, she doesn't show up. But then a flayed body does. So, you know, but Buffy kind of has to ask the hard question of maybe Willow did this, but they also just need to figure out what's going on. Um Willow tries to enlist or does enlist the help of Anya, um, which we should definitely talk about more, um, and kind of does her own investigation to figure out, oh, actually, there's this demon and he's living in a cave outside of Sunnydale. And lo and behold, uh, Don also through just kind of detective and research skills figures out pretty much the same thing. Or rather, they figure out that they can use blood to track the demon and then they um, enlist Spike to sniff him out. Uh, So they all show up at the same thing they still can't see each other and it's now clear that they are in the same place they just can't see one another or even touch one another um so unbeknownst to them buffy and don and xander accidentally trap willow inside the cave with gnarl the demon uh not the gnarl just gnarl and uh he has poisonous fingernails and he paralyzes her also he paralyzed don which is why they leave in the first place and accidentally trap her there 
Uh, and he eats his victims alive. It's very disgusting. He does a lot of clickety clackities. Well, not a lot, but he does a few clickety clackities with his nails. He says creepy, rhymy, uh, golem like phrases. And he keeps yes. reminding Willow that she's alone. And it's really creepy and unsettling. And making this drag on, obviously, eventually, they decide to go back because they need to kill him in order for the paralysis to wear off of Dawn. And luckily, um, they, with the help of Anya, again, realize that Willow actually is there. So Buffy finally kills Narl, and then they um, somehow undo this kind of invisibility spell that it turns out Willow probably just kind of willed into existence because she was so scared to see them again that she made it so that they couldn't see each other. And then, yeah, and then she has to grow new skin because the demon ate part of it off. And Buffy um, offers up some of her kind of magical slayer powers to help Willow recover faster. And it was a really sweet ending. And the ending didn't make you emote? It did. I got excited about it. It made me emote quite it a did. bit. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we're just saying that now. <laughs> We've got a great euphemism for crying like babies. Yeah. Um, I want to say a couple things about this right off the bat is that Mm -hmm. one, Narl kept asking his victims, like, are you frightened to be all alone? Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here watching this by myself in the dark Uh saying, uh yes, yes, (laughs) (laughs) right now. Yes. Uh Um, and also they kept referring to him as a parasite, but that doesn't, I would argue that's incorrect. Yeah, I agree. He's just a carnivore. Yeah, he's like, not like living. He's off not living in symbiosis with yeah. his victims. He's killing his victims. Yeah, no, I agree. That was a little bit of mischaracterization. So yeah, I mean, I liked this episode a lot. I mean, he's obviously a terrifying demon. I think they did a great job of like you don't really don't see him until that final scene. So it wasn't like you got overused, but it was also like a really I think really good you know demon design. So he was really scary, especially when you mostly don't see him. So I just thought it was. Yeah, I thought it, he's like really well done. I think the concept was pretty strong and something that we all really needed to see. Um, and then I think there was a lot of interesting kind of fallout from this bringing Willow back. And some of it, I want to talk about how we probably need to just move past it. And then some of it I'm interested in, or I'm like interested if maybe we shouldn't. So I don't know. I, Is it, do you have something you want to start with or? Well, one, I also want to call out that I totally agree with you that this was like their version of Gollum. Like he was <laughs> definitely talking like that. Um, but also, yes, overall, I think this episode is extremely successful. And I think that them doing it in this way with the structure of parallel and nobody seeing each other is actually mm-hmm. really clever because we talked about this a little bit last time um, or maybe in the first episode of this season. But mm-hmm. This is a really big thing that Willow did, and it's yeah. a big ask from the show for us to kind of just get over it and move on. Right. But I also think that I really appreciate the show saying, you know what, we understand, like, this is a big thing to get past, and our characters are even having trouble getting past it. Like, you know, Xander is putting on a good face and saying, it's Willow, like, you know... Um, we'll just say hi Willow and like welcome her back but like Buffy is the slayer and the calculating and logistical one and trying to weigh all the pros and cons of this and like it is a new world in which Willow has killed someone with her powers Willow is also exhibiting in this very episode that she doesn't have full control over her powers she might still be a liability and Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the show just not having her walk off the plane and go, hey guys, what's up? And like everything moves on. And I, and I, I don't know how much they really come back and revisit some of this, but I do think that showing the hesitation on both sides, like Willow questioning, like whether she'll be accepted back, Mm -hmm. um, 
and then her friends also questioning whether like it's the same Willow coming back or like which version's coming back and whether they should be okay questioning her back. Like we see Dawn's apprehension, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Willow's recovered, right? Right. And you know, I I really appreciate this kind of uncertainty on both sides. Um, Although it is really interesting, like Willow's really upset that they didn't meet her at the airport, which I feel like, you know, if she's expecting them, that's one thing, but it's also a little bit interesting that she's, so hurt that they just like abandoned her and it's like, I think well, she was I, mean, ex- I think she was expecting them and yeah. because she had that fear that they weren't going to accept her you know thinking that someone's going to meet you and then they're not there I think is it's not that yeah. she's like disappointed in them I think it's definitely a sign to her that like oh crap my biggest fear has come true they yeah. don't want to see me because you're right because they were me. I don't think she's mad yeah which anything. I also want to call that out based on whatever year this was made yes I no. was like hold up they're waiting no. at the gate. <laughs> that was what I said. I was like, oh, this must be pre-2001. And then I was like, wait, this is 2002. So I don't know if they filmed it before or if they had just gotten so far along and like, they really no. can't have filmed it before though. What is they, not that? They can't have. I this think is like they almost a full like, year later. So they must've just decided just, it was easier. I, so Jane Espenson wrote this episode and I wanted to call that out also because she's okay. responsible for a lot of amazing Buffy episodes. And I mm-hmm. actually think the writing in this one was And other really television. Strong. Yeah. Yeah. And other television. But I think this particular yeah. episode is you know, as much as I was dreading watching it, I was like, this is a fine episode of Buffy. No, Um, I I agree. But I wonder if she's just like, if it's just a case of like, it's only a year after 9-11 and people are still in their minds, like not making that association that like you would never go to the gate. Maybe every, we're, well, yeah. Without dwelling on this too much, did we all think maybe it was going to go back to normal at a certain point? And so you like hadn't really committed to like, oh, this will never be true again. It's true, or it's possible that also that, like, this show exists in a world where 9-11 didn't happen. Sure, Because sure. they never acknowledge it. Like, sure. So, I don't hmm. know, but it is something that I no, noticed I, where I, I was I, like... I mean, I noticed that right away, too. It's impossible not to, especially because, yeah, yeah. I mean, the I scene mean, that, also, it could be, like, a logistical, like, decision, because the scene like works then you have to have a bigger waiting set. Yeah. at the gate versus, like, baggage claim. But then again, I mean, not really. I mean, if you just come, you come through doors still, you know? Like Unless still maybe a, we're supposed to think exit. that, first of all, we've talked about this before. Why does Sunnydale have an airport? Right, right, um, right. And maybe the airport is just so small that they don't have those logistical concerns. Maybe. All right. Anyway, well, that's not anyway, the important part. It's not. <laughs> um, what I want to say is that I agree with everything that you said, but I will say I thought this episode was slightly more successful on the Willow side of it than on the rest mm-hmm. of theirs, because I think I really the problem for me specifically is that we viewers I because I get the cognitive like understanding that the last time we saw Willow she was doing all these things that her friends literally watched her murder a guy etc etc and that she did all these terrible things to Dawn and I, I get that but because it's tv because I've seen six five and a half seasons of her not being that way or whatever and then we the first two episodes get quite a bit of one-on-one time with Willow and see how clear it is that she has recovered. It was just a little bit harder for me to buy into this, like, what if she did it? Because it's, like, so clear that she didn't. I mean, also because the episode shows us the demon in the first, you know, the first Well, we know. So it's like, I know that we know, but I just mean it did make it a little bit harder for me to go along with them because it's so clear that I don't, as a viewer, have those doubts of Willow. So I wonder if it would have been a little bit stronger to somehow twist that but at the same time like I mean I still buy it I just mean for me it was a little bit stronger on the Willow side because we've kind of been watching her go through this for a few episodes but we haven't been watching the other characters do it so it just felt a little bit more solid on her side I think the thing that made it 
okay for me that like saved it was at the end Willow admitting that she also thought on some level that maybe that she had done it. Totally, like, totally. Because also, I mean, in this very episode, she performed magic without realizing it. So like, mm-hmm. I think she's aware that she doesn't have a full grasp on everything. And like, you know, to see, I mean, first of all, who would have thought we'd see two flayed bodies on Buffy? I, <laughs> I mean, tough to look at. But yeah. I, like to have Willow also be thinking on some level, like, Am I I somehow responsible for this and like losing my mind or something like is to me the part that made it successful because yes, it is a little bit hard, especially for us seeing the demon to go along with this whole premise of like, maybe it was her spike being like my money's on the witch or like, you know, or well, he was talking about something else, but like (laughs) talking about, cause he did point out like, uh, I think I heard about you flaying a body once. Like Mm -hmm. it is something that she has done and we know that she didn't do it, but it is the first impulse that I understand of like Willow's nowhere to be found. A Mm -hmm. flayed body turns up, you know, they don't know what's happening. I, I kind of bought into it. Well, it's, no, no, no. Yeah. And I'm not saying I didn't buy it, but actually I think you underlined my point though. It's more, inter- I'm just saying it's more interesting from Willow's perspective. I think it's very yes. interesting that she's doubting herself. It's just less fruitful that Buffy is because we knew from out the gate that Willow wasn't the one who did it. Yeah. So I guess that's what I mean is it's like, it just was a little bit better from Willow's side of the story. I thought, I I thought those parts were stronger. Not that I doubt the other parts. I'm just saying, because we know it's not her, it it makes that side a little weaker to me. I don't not believe them. I think, and, and for all the points that we start started with, like, it's so important that they go through this that like, I really enjoyed it. I just think her stuff is even more, um, interesting and like engrossing. So that's really what my point is. I think, I think you're, you're right. Like, I think there is more focus on Willow and that's probably why it's more successful as Mm -hmm. well. Um, I also want to call out that I think what could have been kind of gimmicky, which is like, oh, Willow shows up and they don't see each other. Like, they're very literally manifesting this this question of like, mm-hmm. you know, what if things aren't the same or we're not connecting? Yes. And they're li- quite literally not connecting. And it reminds me quite a bit of mm, the show mm-hmm. in its earlier seasons where mm-hmm. we have these like literal manifestations of situations. But what I really wanted to call out that I actually only really appreciated, I think, watching this time around, which again you know, one of the perks of a slower pace is the show taking advantage of its current state and firing on all cylinders because the way this gimmick works even better, and I don't know why I'm calling it a gimmick, it's a premise, Mm -hmm. but the way this premise works even better is taking advantage of the current state of the characters. And this is why character building and consistency matters so much. But like that scene with Spike is fantastic. I really like it. And it would not have worked if Spike wasn't out of his mind because otherwise everyone would have in two seconds realized what was going on. He would have just explained it to them. Exactly. But I think taking advantage of Spike being out of his mind to have them all literally in the same place and not Mm -hmm. be able to realize it because Spike is incapable of communicating that is fantastic. And I think also taking advantage of Anya's current status as an outsider is also fantastic. I have a lot to say about that. Because of course they would all interact (laughs) with her separately and then come together. And I was just like, oh, this is amazing. Like this premise would not have worked last season even. Right. And I have to say, I guess this is the part that I don't mean that we should breeze over it, but I did... I, well, so let me just say it. I really, really liked the Anya and Willow interactions. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very bonding. It's very (laughs) sad that it took both of them, you know, becoming evil and going through significant trauma in order to finally connect with one another. But that said, I really enjoyed those scenes. But now, and I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but I think them in this episode and 
now kind of the way that Spike is transitioning, it's all making it maybe a little easier to take because half of our main cast has done something so awful and atrocious that they're genuinely not good humans anymore. So I'm like, I was like, oh, it's so interesting to me that Anya and Willow are essentially in the same place. And we are, as viewers, definitely going to accept at least Willow. But, you know, what does that what I guess I was I'm interested in what that means we should or shouldn't do for Anya and Spike. And I think mostly dwelling on that isn't going to be interesting or fruitful. But I just I liked having that thought and then kind of accepting that, like, we're just in a totally different space now where people have done horrible, horrible things and we all have to live with it. And I think trying to examine it too much and and, or rather trying to decide how much we should or shouldn't forgive them, I think, is a waste of time. But I did. I definitely think it's interesting to, like, sit with for a minute. I agree. Like. It's taken seasons for our Willow and Anya to bond, and the fact that they're doing it over the fact that they're two people who have quite intentionally killed people and caused them harm, and mm-hmm. they're bonding over how bad that makes them feel. Like, yeah, yeah. That's, it's like you have to kind of take a step back and like realize like the subject matter that they're bonding over is a departure for Buffy. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. And um, and maybe we shouldn't let them have it. You know, like yeah. they've done but, really but horrible also, things. I was just thinking, like, you were describing this, and I was, you know, flashing back to, like, watching The Wire, and I'm yeah. like, well, yes. you know, like, we're you watching root- a bunch of people kill each other and, like, rooting for Stringer Bell. Like, it's, right, you know, it's right, like, yeah. you have to kind of, I guess, it's a suspension of disbelief, right? Or, like, maybe it that's is, not the, it right, is. the right thing. It's, like, you kind of separate your real-world feelings from, yes. from this, because, yes, like, realistically, we should look at Anya in horror and Willow in horror, and they do they get forgiveness? Do they, you know, Willow, I think we give her, I don't want to say the benefit of the doubt, but we give her the leeway because she was under extreme grief and duress. And uh, perhaps Anya was as well when she made her decision to become a demon again. mm -hmm. Um, And I think I also feel like personally, I'm willing to throw them both a bit of leeway because Anya is clearly not relishing her decision. And it's not like she's like, oh, this is so fun. I mean, she's saying in this episode, I mean, like, I, it's not as fulfilling as it used to be. And, and it's I, kind of yeah. a joke that she'd ever be fulfilled by this. But the the character of Anya, the premise of her character is that... She was. She was living in a human world with this very demon sensibility. And that's where the comedy came from. Mm-hmm. But again, you have to look at her. Like, they allowed this, like serial killer to come into their circle and like Xander was about to marry her like that's not nothing (laughs) yeah but it's interesting though because in some ways I think Willow is the most culpable because she really was still human and still had everything normal and she had a support net like she kind of has no excuse in another way you know what I mean I'm like on the one hand yes but like lots of people have died on this show no one else has made those exact choices that she did no but but I guess that's also again driven by Magic. Let's not forget addiction and grief. So sure. I'm not. I'm not letting but, her off the hook entirely. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I think that's how we get away with continuing to watch her on the show. But I will say that I was also quite placated by Spike in this episode. Like, I. It's not that I. I don't know. I just think he's he's just he's he is being very interesting now. He's certainly not being his normal Spike self, and I definitely miss that, and will never not miss that. But there. I appreciated his role in this one. Or maybe I just like James Marster so much. <laughs> is that what it is? Like, he's just so interesting to watch. I mean, the like, power it's hard of his not charisma to kind of, and performance yeah, has carried Spike past season two, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not. It's hard not to watch that and just be pretty entertained by, like, just his his 
yeah, his perception of the situation and what he's able to say and do about it. I don't know. I thought he carried it well. He did. You know, I think another great character use in this episode, and I'm going to keep talking about it because I've done a full 180. Oh, yes. I is know Dawn. Mm-hmm. God, this was she is great in this episode? A great example of why keeping Dawn apart from the action for so long was probably what also contributed to yes. us not liking her as a character because Dawn not necessarily, I mean, well, actually, even in this episode, she is taking part in the action. She goes with them to the cave, mm-hmm. but her being the the researcher and yeah. you know the investigator and like it's such a great use of her because she gets to be incorporated in the group which really is all she ever wanted exactly and like- <laughs> yeah and which is why she's also happy but also she does it in a so-called safer manner which yes. didn't really pan out in this episode because she does get sliced by the demon and paralyzed but sure i love this use of her i think Me it's too. great i think it makes sense because we sort of forgot that dawn is supposed to be a little bit nerdy as well and you know really book smart and so like seeing her really relish the research and is she supposed to be book smart when did that ever come up uh like when they first introduced her as a character like, she i feel like she was always were, like, failing out of classes no, yeah, because, like, after she found out she was the key and, like, all that Got stuff. It. But in okay. the first couple episodes, she was like, God, Buffy, read a book. And, like, okay. you know. all right. Like, it, I, the impression I got was, like, she and Willow were close because they kind of bonded over, like, school. Okay. And I have they to say. They didn't carry that very far. I'm no. just <laughs> I have to say they also, I, I mean, I loved it out the gate that she was, like, jostling Xander about his, you know, he's, like, telling this yellow crayon story and it's clear that he's now told them, like, 50 times. And she's like, oh, what was that? You know, like, egging him on. And I was like, God, you're so, f- she's so funny. Like, yeah, no, I loved it. And this is also the second episode where somebody called her terrifying. <laughs> Yeah. And I also really appreciated that. <laughs> also, I love the continuity in the universe. Dawn also uses demons, demons, demons to find leads just yeah. like Cordelia. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that, but that's pretty funny. It's like, oh, I've seen that site before. <laughs> well, also, I guess they decided Dawn was unlikely to vomit because they just left her on the couch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I did like the posable gag was pretty fun. <laughs> She's posable. <laughs> also, also appreciate the efforts that they're going through to make Anya relatable because they're her whole situation with the carpet. I mean, I would be super mad too. <laughs> Why didn't they put something underneath that? I guess it really wasn't supposed to ignite at all, but still do that on linole, you know, do that on tile or something. Also, speaking of continuity, um, this is the exact same spell that Willow and Tara yes. did very early um, in their friendship. And yes. it's Hence. the one that Tara like botched because she was she Didn't, thought she had part mm-hmm. demon or something. It's true. But that's also yeah. why Anya kept talking about it being sexy, right? Yeah. A little callback also. Uh, I, she I really also know did really that, like the joke where she's like, it kind of got a little sexy. Yeah. Didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Another Anya thought that I had was I we've talked quite a bit about how her world revolved around Xander and how that falling apart obviously is really been the impetus for a lot of what is going on. But we forgot about also the one other passion she had in life was making money and running the magic shop. And right. that also got destroyed. And I was like, oh, thank you, show, for reminding us that, like, she actually did have this one other facet to her personality. And that, too, was destroyed. So, like, it is a little more sympathetic right that it's like it's not just that she built her whole life around Xander although really that's the primary thing that is also she did go to quite a bit of lengths to build a new identity and role for herself and all of it was taken away so I don't know I just I was like I appreciate yeah yeah and and I thought Willow's apology was a little like 
half-hearted, to be honest. Like, you're standing in front of the ruins yeah. of the magic box, and she's like, oh, sorry. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't think Anya should even be talking to you right now, to be honest. Yeah, it's true. What do you think Willow's parents know? You know, I was wondering that, because... Their daughter like has been away in England for months. Mm-hmm. And Dropped out of she college. first arrives in Sunnydale and like doesn't even go see them. Like her home is still even after all of this, her home is still Buffy's home. I wonder yeah, if they I moved. I was really wondering about that. I mean, I'm fine not really getting that answer because I think, you know, they they did their legwork like, early on, which was to say her parents are not around and even when they're around they clearly don't really pay attention to her, so Fine. I mean, I don't have a problem believing it, but I, I, you know, passive curiosity. Like, I kind of, I, I suspect that they've left Sunnydale, so maybe they're just like phone calls anyway. I bet they don't even know that she murdered a guy, or well, I mean, they certainly don't know that she murdered a guy, but yeah, I bet they I don't mean, know. I mean, does anybody about know any that she, like it's not like she's got like you know a warrant out for her arrest true. or whatever? So yeah, hmm. no, but it's true. Um, I like to think that Willow's father disowned her the moment she hung a crucifix on her wall. Okay, yeah, <laughs> probably. Since that's the only time they've ever mentioned him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, her mom must have be convinced that she's, question. like, studying at Oxford or something. Yeah, maybe. No, it's a good question. I mean, we only really saw her mother in the episode where Gingerbread. it was convenient to have her. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, uh, are you a tasty little gifty is a phrase that I would like to work into my vocabulary from now on. So I'm going to try to make that happen. Uh, probably won't be successful, but yes. Oh, also we were talking about this before we started recording. Um, I, uh, do really like Willow's leather jacket in this episode. Uh, that would work for me. I, I need a new leather or faux leather jacket. And so it's on my mind, but I thought she looked pretty good. What about her kitten heels? No, I will not wear kitten heels. Yeah. I liked Buffy's outfit at the beginning, but I was still struck by how low her pants were. Like, yeah. precariously <laughs> low. Which I, I think I'm only really noticing was. now that, like, high-waisted pants are, like, definitely more of a thing. But, like, yes. one of the perks of that is, like, there's no worries at all when you're, like, sitting down in public. Like, whatever. That and was just, such like, a thing. Yeah. I just feel like a very... Yeah. Like, a very clear memory of like worrying about that yes like, all the time you, know, you like, had so to buy I special underwear yeah. pants and i'm like uh <laughs> great until you sit down <laughs> yeah um but also um speaking of phrases i would like to adopt is i just want to say i've got a feeling in my viscera yes <laughs> that was great um yeah. Okay. And then just to hit on that final scene one more time though i really i i really really liked it i thought it was just yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe it's just the Jane Espenson-ness of it, of, like, their conversation just flowed in this really nice way. It was just such a nice moment where, like, it's a more effective way of conveying that, like, Buffy is more or less forgiving Willow, right? It's just, like, that she's approaching her to have a gentle conversation, that she's just being very conscientious of her and her feelings, but also that Willow is, like, really explaining what she's doing. I don't know. Something about it was just, like, so nice, like is nice to really see them be friends again, but also just nice to see them have this like really deep moment of connection. Well, I was thinking about that because so much of their relationship in the last season was keeping things from each other. Exactly. Like Buffy yeah. wasn't talking about her real, real feelings and Willow was kind of hiding the extent of her magic use. Yes. And something about this conversation just felt incredibly so honest open. where yeah. Buffy is admitting that she suspected yes. Willow had done this and that, you know, she doesn't really know how to feel about the fact that she thought that. And Willow's saying, you know what, it's okay. Like, yeah. it's your job to think those things. And I would, you know, on one hand, like, I thought that too, but also, like, to recognize that Buffy's 
unique position means that she has to have the hard thoughts. Like she tells her, like Xander has the luxury of like, even if he thinks these things, he doesn't have to say them out loud, but Buffy does because Buffy has to raise all possibilities. And I really loved that whole interaction. Okay. But I have two follow-ups and I just forgot what the first one was, but let's put a (laughs) pin in this moment though, because I have a feeling mm. they're going to undercut that exact sentiment in about 15 episodes. So I like, I, I, I think this is the more accurate and honest depiction of who these characters are and what they really think about one another. But I, I definitely want to remember this for later when we criticize another episode of like, Uh, Hey, remember when you said that thing, Willow, and you definitely meant it. Why did they make you different all of a sudden? Um, crap. What was the other thing I was going to say though? Um, I forget something about them being open and honest, but I don't remember. It was a nice scene. It was. Oh, um, Oh, I know what I was going to say. I think it's also a good, really nice shorthand way of like, obviously Willow needs to be in this position, but like you were saying before, like her apology to Anya was pretty half-hearted and not that great. (laughs) Um, I think in some ways her conversation with Buffy was like better than an apology because I, I guess I just mean to say she's clearly grown and also just matured. I, I think her being able to say to Buffy, you need to keep having those thoughts is like a really, I thought that also just reflected a lot about Willow and her state that like, she's not taking it personally, that she understands that that's a consequence of something that she did and that she like accepts it and is saying it out loud. I thought it was like also like a really nice big step, <laughs> you know, which is something that last season Willow wasn't able to do. Like exactly. she was very defensive and like any suspicion that she was doing something wrong, she would like lash out. So yes. it is. She's definitely grown. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Okay. Well, all right. Should we switch gears? We should. And go to Vegas? Let's go to Vegas. Uh, The show actually went to Vegas. Yeah. (laughs) Which I was very impressed by. Mm -hmm. Um, They were clearly saving up some budget for this episode. Yes. Um, Also, as Alex pointed out, they licensed full songs. So they racked up a bill quite a bit in this episode to film it. Which I think might speak to some of the, like, containment of the last the previous few episodes. Yeah, maybe. Um, hmm. But we are going to talk about The House Always Wins um, on Angel, which, as mentioned, takes place mostly in the actual Las Vegas, mm-hmm. <laughs> not just standing sets. Um, so we are three episodes in, and we're still missing Angel... Uh, no, sorry, not Angel. <laughs> uh, Lorne and Cordelia, right? Like, Cordelia mm-hmm. is still up in her mystical loft, and Lorne is still MIA. Um, so we see at the beginning of this episode, Angel is tracking Connor, um, keeping tabs on his whereabouts. He's watching him fight a vampire, kind of throws him an assist. Fred and Gunn show up, and they're kind of like, hey, what are you doing? And Angel, to kind of, like, deflect almost like decides, you know what, we're going on a road trip and they do. They end up in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Fred is really excited because she thinks that Angel has come to Las Vegas to get Lorne to read him. Mm -hmm. Um, But they are really shocked to see like Angel saying, you know, oh, I think Lorne is going to be performing in some, you know, back alley, like discreet place because obviously he's got some physical attributes Mm -hmm. that would cause some alarm. And Fred's like, no, I think he's performing at the Tropicana, which is a bigger Las Vegas casino. Mm -hmm. 
And so, sure enough, they roll into town, and one of the first things they see is this giant billboard with Lauren's real face on it. And they show up at the Tropicana, and he's got a full Vegas review show going on. It's a packed house. Obviously, he's amazing. There are mm-hmm. showgirls that are all dressed up, like, green with horns. So it's like they're clearly buying into it. Um, but during the show, Lauren, like, comes out into the audience, and people are singing, and... You know, Fred thinks like he's gonna, like he sees them, he's gonna come by their table, but he skips right over them. And then um, they go to try to meet him at the stage door, and he clearly sees them, but ignores them, and like they walk away. Um, so they're all a little bit perplexed, like, what, like, why is mm-hmm. Lauren ignoring us? Um, but then we see Lauren taken into the back room, and people are like, who are those people? And he's like, well, I don't, I don't know, just some old fans of mine. And we see the owner of the casino come in, and it's clear that Lauren is being held prisoner by this guy specifically to do his act, which is making a ton of money, but also so that he can have the people in the audience sing with him and read them mm-hmm. and identify people with high-powered destinies. Mm-hmm. So, like... In the show that we see, like, one guy's going to become a a senator. One woman's going to have, like, a bunch of five-star restaurants. So, like, very high-powered future destinies for these people. And so once he identifies them, they get sent to, like, this back room in the casino to play a game where the house always wins. And their destinies are essentially mystically stolen from them. Mm -hmm. Um, So Angel gets caught up in this by, you know, he's like kind of snooping around the casino and security identifies him as a threat. So he gets brought into the back room and tricked into giving away his destiny um, by a bit of magic. And so Angel's wandering around the casino, like zonked out, like playing the slot machines, you know, like a zombie, um, just putting quarters in. Gunn talks to him, doesn't even really realize what's going on. So they all, so meanwhile, Gunn and Fred... Uh, decide to help Lauren escape because they go into the back and see him in like this room behind a bunch of security Mm -hmm. and realize like hey something's going on so Fred sneaks in dressed like one of the showgirls and finds out that Lauren is being held prisoner being made to do this and they decide to help him escape but um, their escape gets foiled while they're in this like whole like I said real Las Vegas like neon alley They get all brought back into the um, casino, and Angel actually manages to win the jackpot with a little assist from Cordelia, who's trying Mm -hmm. desperately to get his attention. Um, So this casino manager is understandably, like, perplexed because the house is always supposed to win, and how did he do this? Um, But what ends up happening is there's a fight. Lorne breaks the little mystical uh, destiny-stealing machine. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets their destinies returned back to them and, you know, they make their escape. Um, so they all come back to the hotel and lo and behold, Cordelia is standing in the lobby, but turns out she doesn't know anything about yes. who they are. So yes, unclear if she knows about who she is, though. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's kind uh, of a fun, fun caper. It was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I liked this, I liked this episode, but I've got plenty of nit nitpicks. Yeah, I I feel like one. I want to say how much I actually appreciated them really filming in Vegas. Yeah, it really makes really a difference. Yeah, to the ambiance of this quite a bit, uh, especially given that this concept of like 
demon gamblers is a well that I feel like Angel has gone to a bit before. Yeah. Um, so it, it it's the one thing that I think saved it from feeling a little too repetitive mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. It's true. Um, and also, yeah, not also. I, this is a second point, but... I just really like Lauren. I'm glad that yes. he was in. Yeah, I'm glad that he was in this episode. I, I do feel like they've really been a little bit stunted, and we've been delighted because it's really meant more screen time for Wesley. When I have no regrets about that, but I, you know, they really did lose something by losing two of their main characters. You know, and they're basically on the sidelines. And I think that's really my biggest complaint about this episode. I, and, and frankly, this season, like we've had such great episodes, but like they're already like, what are they doing with Cordelia? Like that effect of her looks terrible. There seem to be either she's making this choice or directing her to like kind of overact everything that she's saying. And it just is so silly. You know, like every time they cut to her, I was like, Ugh, why are we doing this? And like, what are the yes. rules? You know, like she can, Oh, all of a sudden she can influence something physically. Like, you know, it's like, I don't know that I just have a lot of like, doubts about that kind of as a premise at all yeah and, and i, I will really say took that me the, out of the episode every time they did it the end of her showing up with amnesia yeah. like i was like really I was like, yeah exactly like, yeah um and i also want to say that as fun as i felt like this episode was um it felt like a bit of a retcon of lorne ignoring them all summer yeah and, and i think that i would have preferred if it was because he had more of a backbone not because he was being held prisoner i agree i had that thought as well also, quite a bit of retconning probably to Angel's whole backstory. Are we to understand that he is lying about all of this or that, like, what is the timeline of Angel's life? Because I had to look it up, admittedly, but, and I, and I don't really begrudge them this part. It's fine to retcon Angel's very dreary history, I think, but... You know, in season two of Buffy, we get this flashback of him and Whistler, you know, who, the sort of precursor to what's his name Doyle is meets him in New York city in the nineties and he's like eating rats out of the sewer. So I don't, and like still really beating himself up about everything. So I just don't know where this like living with a rat pack and Elvis like fits into that timeline. Well, and also remember the timeline of angel living in the hotel. So like that would right. be roughly around the same time. And so, I yes, don't know. it feels it like fine. a huge retcon <laughs> that they're playing just for comedy. But I also think that the way I'm choosing to, appreciate the retcon is that maybe Angel had good decades and bad decades. And, I, and, so. and, and you're right. Ultimately, I'm just pointing it out to be a fussy fan. I don't not like it. I think I, I also think it's pretty funny to imagine that he's embellishing quite a bit. Like he does seem to be showboating a lot. So like, I think some of this is not true. <laughs> but yes, I agree that it's it's feasible that in this like century, you know, that he had with a soul before he met Buffy or however long it was like, yeah, there was probably some times that he had fun. I don't know. Yeah, like, I, I, I think there were probably times where he was like, okay, let me just, like, snap out of it or whatever. But then also, like, it's clear that Angel has an appreciation for culture, so mm-hmm. maybe he was like, I'm going to go see what's happening with these people in Vegas. And, like, I mean, I don't know how he wound up there, but it is a little bit interesting to think about him interacting with these people. It is unclear how much he's embellishing. I did love the 
kind of reveal where he was in the room and he was like, God, this room looks familiar. And yeah. you think, oh, because they've pulled Brought him in here. there before, before they like wiped his yeah. like, destiny <laughs> or whatever. And then it turns out, no, he's actually thinking, oh, this is where Elvis's wedding reception was. <laughs> and it's kind of a funny reveal. Um, I, that's I did the one love that the I moments. Don't like, believe. It gives him the ability to say the lines like, this place was friendlier when the mob ran it. And, like, yeah, you know, yeah. No, exactly. The comedy element of it was fantastic, but I agree it does raise a bit of a continuity question. But I think more so, I mean, yes, I enjoy the comedy, and I think that really just speaks to, like, ultimately why I don't mind this kind of... It's probably, it is a retcon, I think, is because, frankly, the dreary, broody angel story is, like, has been one of the downfalls of this show. So like them kind of deciding, you know, what would be more fun is if he actually had a century of life that we can draw on. And I think that is more fun. So like, yeah, does it not make sense? It kind of doesn't make sense, but is it better? Yes. So like, who cares? It is almost borrowing a page from Spike, right? Where it is yeah. one of the reasons Spike as a character, I think was so successful is because again, he didn't have a soul. So he was allowed to revel in his history mm-hmm. and Spike really seemed to, enjoy the fact that he's lived through all of this, you know, time. And I think allowing Angel to have some of that as well is is a nice touch. I just wish the shows had, both shows had done it a little bit more consistently. Yeah, yeah. It's true that, like, Angel's broody backstory has gotten a little tired. But it also was the really... It was a really important piece to, like, his story Mm -hmm. with Buffy of, like, connecting with her as, like, this part of life where he's been kind of half, you know, regretting everything, not half regretting, but like half living because he's regretting everything for so long. But when you actually try to build a show off of a character like that, it's not very enjoyable or fun to watch. And so I can see them deciding, you know, let's lighten it up a little bit. And we've also talked about like Angel as a character seems a lot lighter. Yes. Um, And it's way more fun. Especially... Especially strange considering what he's just been through. Right. Um, But it does kind of, it it doesn't do the past of the show any favors. Right. Like like with consistency. Right. So, I don't know. I mean, speaking of that, though, like, yes, it was delightful to see Lauren back. It was shocking to watch them do an entire performance. Like, this episode must have run short because he's saying almost all of Lady Marmalade. But, like, I get it that there was some, you know, there's certainly plot in there, but I was like, this is really going on for a long time. I guess they were just showing off that they had made it, you know, if you make the effort to film in Vegas, you may as well, like, milk it. So, I don't know. But I, I don't know. I liked Lauren... I was kind of wondering where they might have cut, like, budget corners a little bit because what I was trying to figure out is, was this episode, like, pre-Vegas Renaissance, you know, where... Right, maybe. Like, now everybody wants to go to Vegas and, like, these types of shows aren't really the draw. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was wondering if, like, the fact that they chose the Tropicana is, like, because it's kind of an old-school casino. It's not, like, the one where people are going to, like... I mean, I don't really know. Maybe they are. But in my <laughs> mind, it's, like, not one where people are going to, like, have a pool party and, like, hang out. You yeah, know, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of an old-school casino where people go to play the games and watch the, like, old-style show where, like, Lauren would fit in really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's singing Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Like, like it's not easy being green, which is funny. But, like, I, I also wonder if that's part of how they were able to do this is, like, the Tropicana doesn't cost as much as like right. maybe some of the, like the palms, palms or like yeah, something. yeah. Um, Can you tell that I haven't really spent time in Vegas? I know, right? Like, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, I I mean I'm I'm struggling because 
I thought this episode was fun. I thought it was well paced. I thought the heist, you know, the kind of not heist, but the heistiness of kind of the story was fun. Um, and I think the basic overall plot is fun, but all my notes are about the things that I have like qualms with. So I'm like, I, I want to talk about how it was a good episode, but I'm all my talking points are, are negative. So do you have more? We've trained ourselves to be really hard on this show. (laughs) It's not true. That's not what it is. Okay. But here's the thing. I get it. And this is hardly a criticism. It's just, you know, like being a woman and watching this nonsense, like, I'm sorry, but Fred curled her hair and painted her whole body green in like the span of minutes. Uh, And then she was wearing a wig. Fine. That's what Alex said too. But I didn't, I don't think that's the implication, but fine. I will accept the wig. It was a different color. I accept the wig explanation. I don't expect accept the full makeup. And also, how did they get that outfit? Like, that's, like, its own heist. Like, the whole thing. And then, like, two scenes later, she's, like, just dabbing it off, and it's, like, completely gone. I was like, makeup does not come off like that, especially body paint. So, no. That was the least yeah. believable thing in this episode full of demons and soul-stealing and futures trading. I'll give you the body paint. That was the part that gave me pause. The rest, I assumed, was, like, a costume that she found. Uh... I will also just there, chalk up the fact that she found one to fit her as exactly. a magic television. This is what I'm saying. But, no, there was a yeah. lot of... No, the body paint really annoyed me because, one, she got it on so quickly, and then she got it off equally as quickly. And I mean, I and that's like, even mm. less believable. Like, and then, it, But it wasn't just body paint. It was, even if it's a wig, that was like, getting that dressed up is she elaborate a lot of hair. it takes a long time yeah I'm like yeah. that is at least an hour not to mention the time it took for you to find this outfit were other people there did you just sneak in like sure 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 but anyway yes so not believable at all but I'm obviously just poking fun that like didn't deter me from liking the episode at all um an actual qualm that I had though was and this is kind of going back out of the Vegas stuff so you know we see Angel watching Connor and like Remember when they introduced Connor and he was like the destroyer in a demon dimension and now he's like not fighting correctly against like one vampire? I don't know. I'm just like, this is one of those things where it was like they just wrote this thing to be dramatic in the moment, but like it obviously didn't make sense. I have I, I think this is a much more believable version of Connor that like he can't be this perfect, stronger than angel character because that would make no sense. But like I it is just like. I wish that they had, you know, I guess I just wish they hadn't set him up that way to begin with. It's just like hard to live with that. I think that's a good point. Like, I think that they've sort of made him a little bit less good at what he was doing. But I also maybe it's like he's not training as much like, I mean, I think my explanation and what I said was like, maybe the rules are a little different here, you know, physically. So, yeah, or maybe maybe. his powers are a little different here when it's clear that he's mostly human, but he also is also superhuman in some way. So yeah, maybe things aren't quite working the same, but I think it's more so, I think this season is doing so many things, right? Like they're writing angel better. They're making him more fun. Connor makes more sense and they're treating him with more sense, at least for the time being. But it's just really, I think what it is doing is exposing the weaknesses of the earlier seasons, you know, even more than kind of what we had already noticed. You know, that's actually a really interesting point to bring up and something that I've been thinking about, whereas I know this season is going to mm-hmm. cause me anger, mm-hmm. but right now, right now, it's been I'm, so good. It's been pretty good, especially mm-hmm. compared to like the last season. And I know that I actually really like the fifth season mm-hmm. and like that, that I just wonder how like the strengths of 
this season and the next season, like for whichever strengths there are, like I also wonder how bad they're going to make the previous seasons look in yes. comparison. Like if that you can do this, why did you spend so long doing Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. And it's like maybe I think something that I like to think about with this show, maybe it's being too generous, but I truly think they just didn't like the premise of the show changed almost immediately. And I right. think they never really landed on what they wanted it to be. And as they introduced new characters, it kind of made that more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's weird, and I don't know if it was, like, network interference or, you know, the show running or the writing. I don't know. But it does feel like the show has never really quite known exactly what it wants to be. Like, it has these great characters that it weirdly refuses to acknowledge and yeah. interact with. And, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and I think they just, for so long, were operating on this idea that the show had to be about Angel, mm-hmm. and then they just were in denial about how uninteresting he actually might have been. Mm-hmm. And w- I think we see, especially in this season, with we are seeing more of Wesley and more exploration of even Fred and Gunn, and then we will see next season, like, you know, the introduction of that setting and everything, and, like, mm-hmm. even bringing in Connor and, like, dealing with all this is that Angel has sort of naturally become less of the focus mm-hmm. in a good way yeah um like these are all still consequences of his actions but he's not so much the sole focus and we're not being told that he has to be the hero all the time right or, you know he has to, it's it's interesting that they're doing that but it feels a little bit too little too late yeah yeah it, yeah and i yeah <laughs> i don't like, really have much to, add to have its strengths like make me angry like oh I enjoyed this episode but it's like I almost can't enjoy it that much because I'm like why Mm. why aren't they all like this like why why did you put us through Holtz and all this like like I think because I think the break from his past is a like in this episode they're using his past for comedy instead of trauma and I think the break from his past is necessary but why did we spend three seasons doing the opposite yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's like I mean I I love Darla but I did not like Darla's presence as much as I remembered and you know Darla and Holtz and Drusilla and all of this it's like there's a familiarity of these characters and I can feel I can understand the temptation to bring them back but I just feel like it never worked and I agree I think maybe part of what works with these last two seasons is they're looking forward. Yeah, no, I mean, I think so. And I think what is also kind of frustrating is that it, not to toot our own horns, but because it's not like this isn't really the proper way to frame this, but I feel like all the things that we've been criticizing for three seasons are things that they've immediately righted. And I'm like, look, it turns out we were completely right. All the things that we've been annoyed about. And we've been like, oh, if you focus on the other characters, stop making Angel so broody. Why are you dwelling on this? And not that. And as soon as they stop doing those things, it's a great show or at least a good show, you know? Yeah, so I, it's, I it's totally frustrating to be like, it's not like this years is into the future. And we're like, you know what? Those two girls are right. Let's, <laughs> let's get on this. And fix I it. just mean to say that we were right in our criticisms because now seeing the seeing those things corrected is better, you know, and it's not because it's something that we've said. I'm like genuinely watching them. And then when I think about why this is better, it's because they're not doing all those things that we've been complaining about for three seasons. Absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't I mean like it I've like been... we're right. And they, you know, we've discovered something. I just mean to say that like, our assessments were correct because when we see the opposite evidence, uh, we are just full of original thought. It's fine. It's true. If anybody <laughs> wants to hire us to consult on their TV show, I think we'd be glad to do it. 
I think we'd be amazing at that, to yeah, be honest. It's true. Uh, resume out there now. Um, <laughs> uh, this is my resume, if that wasn't Yeah, it, it's this one <laughs> episode of our podcast where we just say we've been right for, for three seasons. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Hire what me. Were <laughs> um, no, but I, I do want to reiterate, because I feel like it's getting a little lost in this, but mm-hmm. I did really enjoy this episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. Same. And it, I mean, there's just, it, I guess it's just not as interesting... That's not true. It's not interesting. It's not not as interesting. It was fun because we saw these different pairings as much as, yes, it's like ridiculous that Fred could get into and out of this outfit so quickly. I liked watching her, you know, stumble her way through the guards. I like watching her meet up with Lauren again. We haven't seen them interact. And even just knowing that they've both changed a little bit since the last time they saw each other, like it was just fun to watch them band together and like, you know, rise up to correct a terrible situation. And I, I definitely agree that, like, the one thing that was really missing from this episode was Lauren putting any of them in their place and saying, like, you guys have been treating me horribly and I left because my life was actually in danger <laughs> instead of, like, to go be in Vegas and, oops, I got sucked into this, like, mob heist thing. Uh, that's not accurate description at all, but you know what I mean. Anyway, I, I mean, that's the only thing that was really missing. But, like, their dynamics are great. You know, Fred's counting cards, Gunn's losing his money at the table. You know, I don't know. It was great. I I want to call out. It it feels a little strange where I'm going with this okay. to call out the realism of an episode that's premised on a demon making it big in Vegas and people literally having their destinies stolen mm-hmm. and sold on some kind of mystical black market. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite of all of that, I do want to say that I did appreciate the realism of the depiction of the casino. So. I spent more time in the last few years in casinos than not a ton of time, but more time than I think I would normally if I Mm -hmm. didn't have friends who enjoy gambling every now and then and or if I didn't have friends who live near a casino Mm -hmm. and, you know, on the way home, we're just like, let's just stop in for an hour. The thing about casinos that people, especially that Vegas makes it hard to realize is that they're pretty depressing places. Yes, yeah, Um, that's true. And it's it's really awful, actually, to go and watch people sit at the slot machines and literally, like, play their retirements away and, like, you know, their money. And and that's something where this episode was making it, oh, these people are zombies playing the slot machines because they've had this happen to them, Mm -hmm. like, this mystical thing. But I... I mean, I see that in real life, and mm-hmm. these people haven't had some mystical destiny stealer like right. you know take their futures away. They're just literally playing their futures away on these slot machines. And I'm not trying to be like an anti-gambling like police, right, whatever. Right, right. If you enjoy but, it, like go do it. But it is incredibly depressing in real time to go see, mm-hmm. and that's something that I thought this episode captured really well. Yeah, yeah. No, that's an interesting point. Hmm. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean. Gambling can be fun. I'm just saying, like, you gambling know, addiction is real. Limits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, just another random thing to point out. Uh, the woman, what I already forgot her name, Vicky, maybe, uh, that, you know, is the first kind of, she's like the one side character that's like a mark that actually gets lines in this episode. Right. She's the one that's going to be a chef or whatever. She's in the show. Um, I mean, she's been in a few things that I, maybe I would recognize her from, but she recently is in uh, Marvel's Runaways. With James oh, Marsters. Really? And so I was like, oh my God, that's totally her. And I like double checked on IMDb and it is. So she's one of the. She played one of the parents. Mm-hmm. Oh. She's good in that I've show. seen her in a couple things, like in bit parts, because I recognized her, but mm-hmm. I like didn't know where I recognized her from. I actually haven't yet watched Runaways. I didn't um, watch the second season, but I liked the first one quite a bit. Yeah. And I was reminded of that because they're doing the, the um, it's the people who did like the OC or something, right? 
That did Runaways? I don't yeah, know. I think so. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but they're doing something else as like a mini series. Oh, they're doing, I think they're the ones who are doing Looking for Alaska. Oh, interesting. Okay. As a mini series. Yeah. But, but I read that and I was like, oh, you know what I need to do is go watch Runaways. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the second season got more mixed reviews, but I, I mean, I, I liked the first one quite a bit. I thought it was pretty good. And it's not like I haven't even read all of the comics that I, owned, I haven't. So, oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I, I would not I'm, consider Runaways to be like can't miss but I think you know when you have an itch for something kind of in that realm I thought it was very satisfying and that was the position that I found myself in and it's like it's got kind of of the right elements of like it's comic booky and like not just because James Marsters is in it but it just kind of has some of this like Buffy Angel Whedon DNA in it a little bit and like I don't know I mean yeah I thought the kids were like mostly pretty charming and it was exciting there's definitely some pieces to it that were not great but like mostly it was pretty good also, I just have never really seen James Marsters in anything, and I think I love him. <laughs> uh, he was—he had an arc in a season of Smallville. I didn't see that. Is he a villain in that too, though? He's so villainous yes. in Runaways. He plays, um, I think he's Brainiac. Okay. Yeah. But that whole show retroactively has been a little bit ruined for me by the fact that one of its actresses is now in prison for... A sex cult. Oh, oh, right. God, I forgot about yeah. that. Well, <laughs> it like really makes me not want to go back and watch it. Ever it's again. sort of a, a few things have that legacy now, not to mention the just general bad tarnished reputations of a lot of people. So let's not get into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I also just want to make a note about how Gunn sometimes I wish they didn't write him this way, but like he really has like a bad judge of character frequently, you know, it was like he, his kind of first thing is to like hassle Lauren about how, how could you get involved in this and, and do this for someone? I'm like, what about your relationship with Lauren and your experience with him makes you think that that is something he would be doing willingly. (laughs) I'm sorry. Gunn literally sold his soul for a truck. Right. Yeah. Never forget that. Yeah. And I just, they just don't spend enough time with Gunn, I guess is really, my comment, I like, I mean, I like him, but like he, he sometimes is just so thinly presented, you know, like they don't yeah, really, they just give him lines to have him say something. Sometimes it doesn't really feel like they develop him that well. He feels like a, honestly, like a diversity token. Sometimes, he does sometimes. Somebody's yeah. like, your show takes place in downtown LA. Like maybe you should like, you know, it's like, yeah, but they don't, and, and they don't know what to do with him. Except kind of, they focus mm-hmm. on his his world like aren't that successful because it does feel a bit tokenist. Yeah. And like, they don't know what to do with him except kind of lean on that, but it doesn't seem. Yeah. Anyway. So which is a shame. Cause I think the actor, is I think he's good, good other than in the love scenes. I have no well, pro- problems yeah. with his performance. And I, and I, and like when they do, they like so many things about gun on paper that are really interesting. And I feel like they just, they just are, are not quite, he's not living up to his potential. Why I, mean, I think I like season five gun who does not go in a direction that I like, but I appreciate the attempt at character okay. development. Okay. I don't really remember. So that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, still liked Wesley in this episode. He was really had a bit part. Um, also are he and Dar and not Darla, he and Lila are like getting a little closer than I think they mean to. I had this whole argument uh, with Alex last week about also, how they, they don't really like each Wesley, other. <laughs> yes. It seems like they do. 
Uh, the one thing I made a note, though, is, like, Wesley is verging on icky, though. Like, it's true. <laughs> he's, like, starting phone sex with Lila while that, that guy is still in the room. And, like, he's like, why are you still here? And it's like, yeah, but, like, you why looked at you him and you this? were like, what are you wearing? Like, yeah. <laughs> come on, Wesley. This is totally on you that that guy is still in the room. Yeah. And also, like, take your phone sex in private. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yes, that's that's fair. Hmm. But I also, something that struck me during that scene is, like, you know, we're talking about Wesley, who, like, basically doesn't care and is just, like, badass Wesley. It, in that moment, in that scene, I was, like, Wesley is reveling Performing. in playing a character. He is, yeah. I think, where he's, like, oh, my friends abandoned me. Well, let me just be this person. Because, yeah. like, that scene, more than any of the others with Lila, like, felt like he was doing it for putting show. on a costume. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's accurate, though. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if he's having fun, whatever. I still love them together, mm -hmm. so. I mean. Yeah, no. Obviously, too, shipping yeah. Wesley and Fred forever, but, you yeah. know, Wesley and Lila, too. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that door has closed. Okay. Okay. I think one of our more positive Angel reviews. It is. Still um, heavily tinged with the negative, but we have to detrain ourselves. I, it's true, but I guess, I guess what I... I do, I, I mean, really all the things that I pointed out that were negative are like, they genuinely are like a lot more superficial than the critiques that we've been making in the past. Like, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to not comment on how quickly somebody is removing extensive body it's makeup true. because that is it's funny true. to me, but I'm not like deeply offended by say, what, what they've done with Fred. A, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> here's a question for you, Jenny. Uh -huh. Would you say that that strains disbelief more than a mystical Absolutely. destiny stealer? Yes, and if I didn't say that, that is actually what I meant to say. Like, this is the thing that I don't believe. It's like a thing I, I say a lot. Rogue One, by far my favorite of the side Star Wars and maybe even any of the recent Star Wars um, movie franchises, um, but Felicity Jones or whatever her name is has bangs the whole movie and it drove me up the wall. I was like, you are not in space prison for days or weeks or months and your bangs just look nice. Like it no, took me out terrible. of the whole movie. I mean, it didn't take me yeah. out of the whole It's still a great movie, but like that was the, like, who is in charge of hair styling on this? And can I speak with them? Because it's not a thing that happens. Like I also, can believe her hair looks yeah. clean and not greasy. Yeah, sure. like yeah, space travel. Movable. I get it. But like put her hair in a slick back bun and then it's like that hides the grease and I wouldn't be thinking about it. Like, Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, going back to this episode, I actually really did like the premise that there's a black market for Destiny. Oh, me too. And I thought the, like, the I thought that was actually was really great. Clever. Yeah. And they had the board of, like, the prices. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, I loved it. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, we're running long once again. We had one uh, successfully timed episode so far. Um, so, I think we should move on. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So tell me about Four Weddings and a Funeral, and okay. we'll do our pop culture segment, and then we'll yeah. close it out. So I want to preface this that this is not, like, the most amazing thing that I have seen mm -hmm. in a while. But it had enough positive qualities that I felt like I wanted to promote it because, one, I really like Mindy Kaling. I like her work. I think generally it's mm. very snappy, very quick, and fun to watch. I didn't and even I know she did was it. She was, she didn't do all the writing, but she, she's a co-creator okay. and yeah. And, and it's not really an adaptation of the original movie, mm -hmm. but it kind of takes the premise of four weddings and a funeral, um, which is a very broad premise and sure. also takes place in London. Okay. Um, ironically with a almost fully American cast, but <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like 
there's a lot of like maneuverings to make that work that don't like if you really care about the real reality of work visas in London, then this is this is not the show for you. <laughs> um, OK, but I I was really excited to watch it because it has a lot of um, actors that I've seen before that I like mm-hmm. and also has new actors that I hadn't seen that I was like, this looks like a fun combination. It's a very diverse cast. And I would say that that is the part that I still really enjoyed of the show. The main um, the main guy is a Asian American, like um, Muslim from Pakistani family. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's not a, a viewpoint we've seen a lot on TV. Is certainly not playing a romantic lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed all of that. And all the actors were good. The I thought the plotting was good. Like the premise is good. It's a very it's like a love letter to romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of homages. Um, Andy McDowell has a cameo. Okay. She was in the original Four Weddings and a Funeral. There's an entire episode that riffs on plot points from Love Actually. Okay. <laughs> like it's all very. There's like a Notting Hill homage. Like if you love romantic comedies, like there's a lot of Easter eggs in there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what was really interesting to me though is that all of this was enjoyable to watch. It feels very cozy to kind of settle in and watch an episode, but I felt like the weird thing was that it worked really well on paper, and I don't know if it's the performances or the writing or what, but it all just came across as very flat in the watching. Like it's not it's not dynamic, like there's no sparkle, hmm. like there's no chemistry even between a lot of the romantic pairings, which hmm. I think is crucial in a show built on romantic pairings. Yeah. And so that was kind of a letdown. And the biggest surprise to me was Natalie Emmanuel played the lead character, like the lead woman, and she was Misande on Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. And I thought she was very good on Game of Thrones. And I just felt like she was kind of the weak link. In Interesting. This. Like, and I do, again, I don't know if it's the direction or the writing yeah. or her, what her character is supposed to be, but, you know, she had almost no chemistry with the main guy, which is a mm-hmm. shame because, like, their characters were fun, but, like, it. The execution felt very flat, but I still I still enjoyed enough of it. And mm-hmm. like I said, the last episode made me cry a lot. Okay. So I would still recommend watching it just to not have high expectations. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of like I was saying with Runaways, not uh, which I don't think was bad, but it's like some of these things are like if something is adequate and it's something that you like, then it's like worth watching if you need it. You know? Yeah. It's a great way to pass the time, especially mm-hmm. now that they're all available. The other thing that irritated me was they released the first four episodes at oh. once and then it was a weekly basis. And I was like, do one or the other. Do not do both. Yeah. Because I got used to like boom, boom, boom. And then I had to wait a week yeah, and I was that's really annoying. annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's weird. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't gush about it, but I would say like, if you're a fan of romantic comedies, there's a lot to like about it. Okay. But it, it also just made me really annoyed that like it didn't have that kind of sparkle. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but did you watch all of the Mindy Project? No, I didn't. Okay, so never mind. There's one character that I did really like on the show, and she was an actress from the Mindy Project, and mm. she was, like, complete opposite of what she played on the Mindy Project. And okay. I was like, and she looked, like, 10 years younger. I Interesting. Was like, wow, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my sort of recommendation. Okay. I don't have anything this week, so. Uh, okay, so what team are you on? Hmm. <laughs> I won't say Team Narl, but it's very tempting. I'm going to be Team Don. <laughs> no. I'm going to be Team Don this week. You know, I I would go for that. Um, she she did kind of, like, put herself in harm's way and really kind of do the heavy lifting of research. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, I, uh, yeah, I might also 
No, I... Oh, this is tough. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know. I'm like, do I want to abstain this week? I don't know. Hmm. That would be the first time I did it. I feel like I have no, to choose No, you have someone. to choose someone. I don't know. I mean, I think Lauren was fine, but I don't... I don't feel like anyone in the Angel episode was, like, so outstanding. Yeah. You know, morally or performatively. They were all good. Yeah. I think Dawn is the one that surprised... You know, not surprised yeah. me, but, like, she's she just was, really got what? into this new enjoyable place, and I loved yeah. everything that she said and did, so... I would go with her on that premise, is that Team New Dawn. Team I New like Dawn, it. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still uh, enjoy an old Dawn. I'm a Dawn defender, but yes, I certainly, yeah, reco- not- certainly recognize the pitfalls <laughs> and that this is a new and better place. <laughs> That's a Dawn apologist. Yes, <laughs> so. fine. That's same thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, All so... Right. Team New Dawn. Team New Dawn. Next time, we've got help and slouching towards Bethlehem. Okay. Means nothing to me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Frankly, for both of them. Yeah. So. Agreed. Cool. Um, Okay. Actually, no. I think I remember a little bit about the Buffy one, if I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. All right. Like you said, this has gone incredibly long. So, goodbye. (laughs) We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.